With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight analysis and, crucially, the detail on all of the stories you're talking about in the beautiful game. I mean, regarding with me as always is the man, the transfer guru, Duncan Castles. Where else to start today? But with the story we broke a week ago today about Lionel Messi and Manchester City. It's been raging ever since. We brought you updates on the later podcast of last week. And of course, both Duncan and I have been on the phones. We've been emailing. We've been texting, WhatsApp messaging to get you the very, very latest. And I'm very pleased to say that Duncan has now got details of the contract negotiations which have gone on between Messi and Manchester City. Duncan, it seems to me to be probably the most certainly uh, lucrative, if not the uh, most lucrative contract ever in football and maybe never be equaled again? Uh, It's certainly the most lucrative uh, contract for one individual um, ever in football. Um, This is something, I mean, we told you last week that the process had been in play. It's emerged from conversations I've had um, over the past week that this has been in play for some time. Um, The Messi family knew what they were doing. There have been disputes with Barcelona we knew about that, but the very specific disputes over finances, over um, new contract discussions with the club, um, even over commissions for deals that um, Jorge Messi was involved in and which didn't transpire, and which he missed out on substantial amounts of money I've, I've learned about in the past few days. In terms of what Manchester City, or really we should say here City Football Group, the holding company um, through which Abu Dhabi own and control, Manchester City and New York City FC and a number of other clubs around the world. But these are the two crucial ones because this deal will involve Messi playing first for Manchester City. And then the expectation is that he will move to um, the MLS as a New York City player. We talked a bit about this um, on last week's podcast and the advantages that would have um, for the group, for Abu Dhabi and for Messi. I'm told that the, the scale of money that will be going to Messi over a five-year deal is in the region of 700 million euros. Um, Now, that is likely to be structured in in an innovative way, probably a lot of it with signing bonuses, perhaps with a signing bonus after he moves uh, to New York City, substantial signing bonus after he moves to New York City in order to... um, help with any residual financial fair play problems that Manchester City might have to the extent that they have any consideration for that at all after their victory um, by a majority uh, verdict in the Court of Arbitration for Sport. 
this summer. Um, there are discussions, I'm told, over whether part of that pay will come in the form of an equity payment rather than cash. Um, equity shares um, to Messi in City Football Group, um, which is, again, would be an innovative structure. Um, but I think uh, there is a degree of resistance towards that because then you have to place a valuation on um, New York City, um, Manchester City and the City Football Group's worth as a company. And of course, uh, shares were sold, substantial amount of shares were sold in City Football Group to the Silver Lake Investment Group last year and a, and a $5 billion um, dollar valuation was put on the entire group, which um, the you know the PR around that was it they then became the most valuable sports franchise in the world on the basis of that valuation. But um, I think a lot of people would have skepticism as, as to whether City Football Group really is the most valuable um, sports franchise in the world. And if you're being offered shares as an alternative to cash, um, then you're going to question what the, the real value of that equity stake is. Um, <laughs> that's the money to Messi. You will be then looking at a substantial commission on top to his father and advisors. And of course, we don't know if there will be a transfer fee at present. Um, Camp Messi is confident, um, as we said in last week's podcast, that they have um, a legal argument that will win in whichever courts it's heard in and that they are entitled to leave for free. Uh, Barcelona are equally confident that they will win uh, such an argument and that the, the price for Manchester City, if they take him now, should be 700 million euros, which is the release clause on the, the final year of his contract. Um, there is, I'm told, due to be a meeting between Jorge Messi and Josep Maria Bartomeu, the Barcelona president today, to discuss the situation. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in that meeting and whether there can be any uh, reconciliation and any kind of agreement that uh, they'll negotiate a, a transfer fee, a reasonable transfer fee, possibly including players. And, and we know that Barcelona want to sign Eric Garcia from uh, Manchester City uh, to, to put these legal problems to one side. But I have to say that the guidance I'm getting from people who are uh, very close to this situation is that they see this actually heading for a legal dispute. Um, they think that the Messi family are kind of painting themselves into a corner in, in the way they've worked so far. And that Bartomeu, despite advice from people close to him and people he trusts, that it makes both economic and sporting sense to sell Messi in this summer, that he is adamant that he will not allow the player to go um, and that he will hold him to that final year of his contract um, and insist that the only way he leaves is for Manchester City to pay 700 million euros to get him out of his current contract. Why is that? I'm told because he doesn't want to be seen as the president, as the man who lost Messi for Barcelona. He thinks the political damage of that is so great. Uh, and I think the historical damage of that is so great. He doesn't want that label against his name. Therefore, despite advice that he should sell from his advisors, he is going to push um, the Messi's 
to go and take legal action if they want to get out of here. And, and Ian, as you told us on the podcast last week, part of the discussions with Abu Dhabi City Football Group, Manchester City, that have appealed to the Messi family on top of what must be a very appealing pay package is uh, an assurance that they will be supported in those legal cases and that uh, City, Abu Dhabi are prepared to, to take on the liability incurred should they have to go to the Spanish courts, FIFA, the Court of Arbitration for Sport, to get clearance to change clubs? And of course, on top of this, Duncan, as with all of these situations, which eventually comes to a head, and let's face it, this one with Messi has been brewing for quite some time, there is a history here, and it doesn't just involve the player himself, but his father, and also the uh, wayward genius, who of course was sprung from camp now uh, by Paris Saint-Germain Neymar, uh, Neymar uh, when they paid his release clause um, to get him to join PSG. And it seems that Jorge Messi was involved in some way in that deal. It's Well, he was involved, sorry, I should say, in a proposed deal to get Neymar to return, a move which, of course, his son, Leo, supported wholeheartedly and was widely, widely reported in the Spanish and international press that it was his wish that Neymar come back to Barcelona when he was unhappy in Paris. Now, that's going to wind up Bartomeu and, I suspect, the Barcelona board because what they then attempted and carried out was a campaign where they tried to bluff interest in Neymar to appease Messi, who then, of course, was not impressed by the fact that, one, Neymar didn't come back, and two, it looked like he had a will pulled over his eyes. Yes, um we, we've talked about this a lot last summer. Um, we discussed that Neymar move. We discussed the, the dual interest of Real Madrid and Barcelona in signing Neymar. We discussed that Messi was pushing very hard to, to reunite a player that he admired and, and thought was important to the team back in the Barcelona attack. Um, what's fascinating is, is the background to how that was being done. And that I'm told that Jorge Messi was one of two principal agents who were involved in that move to ensure that Neymar came to Barcelona and not to Real Madrid, which is what Neymar chose to do. And, and Lionel Messi was important, as well as some other of his former players in convincing him to do so. My understanding is that Jorge Messi was due to earn a 20 million euro commission on that transfer, which, of course disappeared when the deal didn't happen and we've had Graham Hunter on the podcast um, talking about how that deal and, uh, and Barcelona's inability to complete it and, and worse still this kind of hoodwinking of Messi so a suspicion that they never actually wanted to complete it what they did was go along with the negotiations for a long period of time A to stop the player going to Madrid and B to try and keep Messi happy um, uh, and in, uh, eventually said, well, it's impossible. We can't do it for the money that PSG want. Um, that added to the disputes between the club 
Um, we've talked many times about how Messi has had a, a bigger say in the running of this club than probably any individual ever. He's been important in the way the team plays, in training, in team selection, in in the sacking of coaches, and consulted on on the replacement of coaches. So, not getting deals like that through are important. And when you add the financial element that his father was was due a very significant commission on the deal, you can understand how that would cause more problems. On top of that, I'm told that there have been uh, negotiations over an extension of Messi's contract earlier this year with Barcelona, which makes perfect sense because Barcelona throughout this process have insisted that Messi was absolutely untouchable, central to their plans, and that he would finish his his career at Barcelona. So they needed to renew his contract. When those discussions went on earlier this year, I'm told that Messi uh, and his father were looking for a substantial pay rise on his current salary, which is already the highest salary in the history of the game, is about to be surpassed when he moved to Manchester City, we have to say. But he wanted a pay rise from Barcelona, at a time when Barcelona were beginning to think we're probably paying this guy too much um, and uh, and his influence in the team is getting too great. So although they were saying publicly he stays forever, he's untouchable, um, there's been a growing feeling that he had got too strong and that's why you have people around Bartomeu saying, actually, this is an opportunity for us now. Now he's made a public stance that he wants to leave. He's set up a deal that satisfies him. We should get that salary off our um, wage books. We should reinvest the money elsewhere. We should use um, Ronald Koeman's arrival as a, a coach in this decision to clean the dressing room and and um, say goodbye to a successful generation and, and, and start to play football again where we, we have a real chance of winning the Champions League. This is all part of the opportunity. Let's take it. Um, but... Alongside that, and this this is the, the I think the absurdity of this club. You you have a player of such power of such pay, and you have a situation presented to them where they want to change things, where they can get at least you know worst case scenario some of uh, his very substantial salary off the book. Best case scenario, a a substantial transfer fee from Manchester City on top of that. They are people internal to the organisation thinking this is a good idea economically and sporting point of view, yet the president's saying, no, I can't do that and I'm not going to do that because the people, because the supporters want to retain Messi at the club and I don't want to be the guy who's seen to have lost him. I think we can understand why Bartomeu does not want to be remembered in the annals of Barcelona's history as being the guy who missed out on the Beatles or the guy who sold the Beatles. Um, which is fair enough. Um, let me take you back in history just very quickly, Duncan, to the days of Ken Bates at Chelsea when he went through a, a let's just say it was a project of signing players in their 30s, superstars whose star was on the wane. I'm thinking Rude Hullet, um as well as other uh, it's French internationals, an array of those as well, uh, in a bid to get Chelsea to the top of English football um, by buying experience and a winning mentality. It didn't work. Ron Abramovich, to a certain extent, followed that lead and bought players in a similar way, 
although he did invest in younger players as well. At 33, is this a good deal for Manchester City to sign Leo Messi at this point in his career? Because I think we've all seen in the last two seasons anyway that he's not quite the same player on the ball in terms of his dribbling. There's no doubt about his ability to pass and, of course, put the ball in the back of the net. But perhaps, you know, that part of his game that was the genius of it is kind of slowed him down a little bit. And for this kind of money, is he really worth it? Look, this deal makes no financial sense. I, I've seen reports in the last few days talking about how Manchester City can make this work from a commercial revenue point of view, how they can uh, make it work, get it through financial fair play um, if they were still adhering to it. it this, the quantum of it is so large, it makes no sense from a financial perspective. This is Abu Dhabi saying, we beat UEFA at CAS. Um, we want to win the Champions League. And we're going to do it by buying the player that we've coveted the entire time we've owned this club. Um, the manager is on board with it, absolutely on board, 300% on board was the phrase one of my contacts used, which I think tells you a bit about Pep Guardiola and how much he has invested in uh, delivering the Champions League for Manchester City and, and how the criticism of him for failing to get beyond the quarterfinals has bitten. Um there's been very little talk about whether it's a good idea from a football perspective. The assumption has been you you bring one of the two best players in the world, you put them in an already stellar team and uh, they'll win everything. Um, I had this conversation with someone whose opinion I trust on, on football and someone who knows Barcelona extremely well and watches all their games and has watched Messi's entire career at the club. What they said to me was they don't think it will work unless Guardiola can convince Messi that he should not play every game. said the part of the problem at Barcelona has been that he has he's not been allocating his dwindling physical resource to the right matches. He wants to play every match. He's super competitive. And the result of that is you don't get the impact that is required and which he used to have. Um, unquestionably had of being able to destroy the best teams in the world with that football intelligence, with that ability on, on the ball, with and, and here's the thing they highlight, with the speed, the ability to accelerate from 0 to 10 in, in, in a fraction uh, of time and, and go past an opponent, they say that it's that's not there anymore um, he can destroy the the weaker teams and the middling teams in La Liga, but when he goes up against Champions League opponents, the ability he had to destroy them with all of those skills plus the pace is not there anymore. And and the chance that Guardiola will have to apply that is if he can convince Messi you've got to you've got to um, measure and and restrain yourself and keep your energy back for the, the central games that are going to be decisive in Premier League against the top teams and those Champions League matches. And and they, knowing Messi, have a question over whether that is going to be achievable. From their perspective, and I say I, I trust 
their opinion on Barcelona and football more than, than probably just about anyone I know, this makes no sense from a sporting perspective. And they think that it's absolutely in Barcelona's interests to allow, from a sporting perspective, to allow the player to go now because, and this isn't down to his abilities, they say, you know, he is still by far, by a distance, the best player they have. He can still kill you at set pieces. He will still deliver a ton of goals against those those lesser opponents. But part of the argument about making sporting sense for Barcelona is his power and his influence has become so great, it's become damaging for the team. The phrase that was used was, it, it's like a marriage um, where the two parties need to get out before they kill each other. Indeed. I've heard a lot about that over the COVID period and lockdown. Um, so let's hope that's not the outcome um, in terms of the extremities. But uh, certainly it will be very uh, interesting and indeed exciting to see Leo Messi finish his career in the EPL. By stark contrast, Duncan, across the city of Manchester, we just talked about it last Friday, uh, and indeed lots of our listeners on the Transfer Window podcast have been asking us, what the hell's going on at Manchester United? Why haven't they signed anyone? Etc. Etc. And of course, Ed Woodward, who's a big uh, listener and a uh, <laughs> big, fan, big fan of the show, uh, decided to act upon that discussion in the last uh, 48 hours. And indeed, they've agreed a deal to sign Donny van de Beek from Ajax. Uh, it will be a five-year contract. The uh, player himself uh, was wanted by Real Madrid uh, before COVID struck. And then indeed, before um, the resumption of football as well. Uh, indeed, he was due to have a medical uh, to join Madrid. Uh, but they then killed their interest. Uh, as a result of the global pandemic, allowing, said Mr Woodward, to make his move. Um, this is an interesting one, Duncan, because uh, with the arrival of Bruno Fernandes and, of course, the, let's just say, renaissance of Paul Pogba, uh, you have not necessarily a lot of spaces in that United midfield needing to be filled when you think of the likes of Matic, McTominay, Fred, all there competing for places. But your opinion, Duncan, I believe, is that Van der Beek is probably one of the most versatile young players in the game today who can actually be used in several different positions. Yeah, I, I, think, I think Manchester United, the contrast here with the Messi deal is immense because United have gone for a 23-year-old very much in the rise in the game, who's already proven himself at, at Champions League level, who was coveted by a, a number of their direct rivals. As you say, Madrid had a deal agreed with the player and a deal agreed with Ajax that dates back a year. They, could, they, were, they were supposed to do it last summer. In fact, we reported on the podcast about that deal having been agreed with uh, between the clubs, um, but they weren't able to open up space in their squad to bring Van de Beek at that time. So they held it off um, for this summer and then uh, because of COVID uh, have decided not to activate it. And Manchester United have gone in and got him for 
what was described to me um, at the Ajax end as a tiny bit more than 40 million euros guaranteed plus 5 million in um, performance-related variables, which is a, a very creditable price for a player of that quality. Um, he started off uh, earlier in his career playing quite a lot as a number six for Ajax. In fact, um, I think he played as a number six against Manchester United in the Europa League final um, in Jose Mourinho's first season in, in charge of the club. He's then progressed to play number eight. And, um, you know, according to someone I know very well at Ajax, who obviously knows Van de Beek extremely well, I, I was saying to them, where do you see him fitting into this midfield with, with Bruno Fernandes and, and Paul Pogba? And he said, number 10. Number 10 is his best position, and I would play him ahead of both of those. Now, I, I don't think that's going to happen, um, certainly not immediately. Um, obviously, Bruno Fernandes has taken that number 10 position, which Paul Pogba covets, and made it his own. And I, I do not see Uli Gunnar Solskjaer um, removing him from that as first choice because Van de Beek has come in. But I, I could see Van de Beek playing there when other guys are injured or when they need rested. And, and we saw how tired Bruno Fernandes got at the end of last season after repeatedly being used and the you know the very limited rotation that, that Solskjaer was, was using in that post-COVID project re restart period. Um, and maybe he'll make the position his own. Maybe my friend at Ajax will be right and, and he, he is the best option for it. But what he did say was, he can play eight and he can comfortably play as a six, as the holding midfielder. His attitude is superb. He will not grumble about it if Solskjaer asks him to play six. So he can use Van de Beek, Pogba and Bruno Fernandes as the three in the centre of midfield. Then Van de Beek will be happy to do that. And on top of that, he said he's prepared to do the dirty work. So he's prepared to do the running and he's prepared to do the tackling. Um, that has been um, Paul Pogba's major downfall as a, as a Manchester United player. Um, Barcelona, interestingly, would like to have had him. Uh, Ronald Koeman was very keen on trying to get that deal done, but Barcelona's financial position is such that uh, they couldn't act quickly. Manchester United did act quickly. You wonder here to what extent Messi has had an influence in that deal. Um United have, have been very smart, concluded rapidly, got a good price, got an excellent player. You just wonder whether that would have happened if we hadn't had a week in which Harry Maguire had been convicted of uh, multiple uh, crimes in Greece and had his, uh, his sentence suspended and Manchester City had um, gone so far down the line in bringing one of the best players in the world to the other side of Manchester. Perhaps that provoked and accelerated um, this move by United, but certainly for United supporters, I, I think this is an excellent transfer and uh, fundamentally improves the squad Solskjaer has to work with next season. I saw an interview with uh, Virgil van Dijk, who is currently with Van de Beek in the Netherlands squad for the upcoming Nations League qualifiers. And he said that Van de Beek would be a wonderful addition to any top squad in European football. And he's very happy for him that he is joining Manchester United. 
So uh, despite the fact that official confirmation is still being awaited, sounds like Van de Beek has told all of his mates in the Holland squad exactly what is going on. Um, and it will be interesting to see how United line up next season with him, whether or not it's a double pivot uh, with uh, in a 4-2-3-1 or indeed in a 4-3-3, which of course Solskjaer did play quite a lot last season. Duncan, there's another um, interesting um, movement going on. Uh, we have to say that uh, Arsenal have been active in terms of sussing out the market without actually um, spending so much money to date. However, we understand that Odson Edouard um, is of great interest to the Gunners and indeed uh, they are willing to pay around 25 million euros for the Celtic striker who has yet to feature um, in the last two games for Celtic, interestingly, did not feature in the Champions League defeat of last week and did not either feature in the Premier League win over Motherwell last weekend. Uh, Neil Lennon, the manager, did not mention him by name with regards to his uh, inference that certain players had asked to leave the club, although it is, as I said, our understanding that Celtic are very much willing to sell and looking for a buyer. With uh, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang's contract still being negotiated in terms of an extension and a very lucrative extension, it seems to be as well, Alexandre Lacazette's future at uh, the Emirates is still in doubt. And Edouard at 22 and also 28 goals last season, someone who can score left foot, right foot, outside the box, uh, free kicks, as well as from crosses on the head. Kind of the all-round striker, Duncan, and kind of also in the mould of Mr Dembele, who made a very successful move to Lyon um, before Edouard uh, joined and uh, ascended to his place in the Celtic attack. Um, West Ham and Aston Villa also interested, but clearly Arsenal, you would think, would be his preferred destination should he leave Celtic Park. I think it would depend on whether he, he's looking for game time or um, looking for the, the the most storied club to move to. Uh, certainly a lot of interest uh, throughout um, several clubs in the Premier League. And, and I th- what I'm hearing is that certain clubs at, at the lower end of the Premier League have been told, uh, forget about trying to recruit him because um, some of the top clubs are is going to be his destination. Um Celtic paid quite a lot of money to secure him from Paris Saint-Germain um, a couple of years back. I think it was a €9 million Euro, um, option to buy was the, the one they eventually exercised. Uh, and, and you have to say they made a good decision there, um, as they have done on numerous occasions in terms of buying players from Europe, bringing them to Scotland giving them a platform with the idea that they, they sell them on it at uh, substantial profit to usually English um, Premier League clubs. He scored consistently for Celtic. I think he has four goals in four games um, of the matches he's played this season. Um, and it clearly looks like Celtic are going to try and cash in on him. Obviously, they're, they're now out of the Champions League for this season, so they have a big uh, revenue black hole 
uh, on top of last season's COVID black hole to fill um, and a lot of pressure on them uh, with that expectation that they they win 10 in a row this season, which I believe you and Roger Mitchell had already um, called as a done deal and certain to happen. <laughs> what, 10 in a row or Edward leaving? <laughs> <laughs> 10 in a row, uh, 10 let, in a row. Let, let, let's hope so. Um, indeed, and of course, uh, we can also uh, tell you, uh, Celtic fans, that you can expect the arrival of Republic of Ireland international Shane Duffy from Brighton of Albion. Um, that deal has been confirmed as a one-year loan. And Duffy, uh, who has gone off with uh, his international teammates to play in Bulgaria uh, this weekend, has agreed personal terms and indeed uh, Brighton have agreed the um, supplication of his wages, supplementation, I should say, of his wages in order that that deal can go through. So when the international break is ended, uh, Duffy will join up with his new Celtic teammates and will be available for selection for Neil Lennon's side. So a little bit of um, action there. And Duncan, another uh, player who was interesting Brighton in terms of incoming, uh, Darwin Nunez of Almeria. You have some news on him as well. Yeah, um, I, th I think Brighton have pushed quite hard to uh, try and get that deal done um, and, and put a fairly substantial transfer fee on offer to Almeria. However, they've, they've come up against some unexpected competition from Benfica, um, who it seemed were um, reluctant to pay the kind of money that, that uh, Nunes was um, going to uh, grab from a Premier League club or a Bundesliga club is also substantial interest in him in uh, Germany, but have been forced by their new or returning manager, George Jesus, um, to get the deal done. Um, Jesus does not like either of uh, the, the two um, first choice strikers from last season's Benfica side, um, Carlos Vinicius and Harris Seferovic. Um, and wants both of them sold and replaced, and his first choice um, as a replacement is Darwin Nunes. They have a Champions League qualifying, key Champions League qualifying tie coming up in the next couple of weeks. Jesus wants his new centre forward in before then. And uh, I mean, the guidance I have from Lisbon is that they're prepared to go over um, 22 million euros as a transfer fee for. Um, the Uruguay International, which would represent the highest fee ever paid by a Portuguese club for um, for a player. Um, and also um, what I'm hearing is that the player's preference would be to move to Benfica as opposed to a club like Brighton. And, and I don't think that's particularly surprising given that he's been playing in Spain. Um, the language change isn't as great, the cultural change isn't as great, and you're moving to a team who will um, compete for the Portuguese title, um, play in front of huge crowds in a great stadium, and um, if all goes to plan, we'll be playing in the Champions League. So you you have that opportunity to, to jump up a couple of levels as a player. And you know if you move to Benfica that um, the plan down the line will be to for them to to sell you to one of the top 
top clubs in Europe um, should you succeed after a couple of seasons in Portuguese football? Well, let's hope he's in good shape because as we all know, it's survival of the fittest. Um, oh little, little, little reference there for all you scientists. Um, I hope you appreciate that. And let's round up uh, the rest of uh, the transfer news over today and in the coming couple of days before we return to you on Friday. Um, we told you last week um, about our favourite new Brazilian player, Alan. Um, Dave Alan, as we like to call him. And uh, Aurelio de Laurentiis, the Napoli chairman, has confirmed Duncan's exclusive that indeed he will be joining Everton. Uh, Duncan, no surprise, obviously, because you knew about it first. What's he going to bring? Because he seems to be quite um, quite adaptable in terms of the way he plays. I think he, he, he brings experience, um, which they're, they're, Everton are certainly trying to add a lot of experience to Carlo Ancelotti's team. He brings a, a presence that is trusted, by Ancelotti, who worked with him at Napoli and, and uh, felt he was extremely important to the, the team structure there. Um, it's, you know, you're buying proven talent and that's what Everton ha have been pursuing with a number of their, their deals this summer and they're, they're supporting their manager who, as we said, when we talked about that um, deal being in place for Everton, it's a signal that Ancelotti's um, kind of public pressure he was putting on Everton's ownership to come up with the goods that they convinced them to come to the club with last season, which was you will you will be given money to rebuild and you'll be given um, a restructure which allows you to have a go for European football, which is what we're aiming for and compete with the other clubs in the Premier League. They're acting on that. Um, so I, I think it's, it's a very positive sign for Carlo Ancelotti. Um, and it'll be interesting to compare how Everton do going for the strategy of buying finished products with no real sale value to satisfy the manager compared to other clubs in the division who, in the main, we've got to, we've got to set Messi aside here, obviously. Um, the tendency has been to, has been to sign young um, and to sign with, with future value in mind. And having to factor into your purchase that they'll need um, development time in the Premier League to get the best out of them. To be fair, this has been a feature of Carlo Ancelotti's coaching modus operandi, Duncan, to trust in experienced players rather than uh, blood youth. Uh, we saw it at Chelsea in his two years at Stamford Bridge. We saw it at AC Milan, obviously. Real Madrid, PSG, Napoli as well. Um, it's no surprise really that he is taking Everton down this route. And to be fair, given the um, sackings of uh, uh, Silva and Kuman before him, um, you can see why he needs to bring in players who hit the ground running uh, in order to satisfy the demands of the owners in terms of results. Yeah, they're not a club um, with Alisher Usmanov's money um, running that project um, that, that's been famous for their patience, that's for sure. 
indeed, um, to North London and another deal which has been confirmed that Duncan uh, flagged up to uh, you, our listeners, last week. That's Matt Doherty to Tottenham Hotspur. Um, so, Duncan, that deal's done, but it's been done before Serge Ori has uh, found a new club. Do you think that's going to be a problem or do you think Aurier is going to be an easy sell for Tottenham? I don't think it'll be an easy sell. Um, high wages um, are, are the problem. The only way it becomes an easy sell is if Daniel Levy's prepared to take uh, take a reduction on on the transfer fee to get him out. But you know, certainly Jose Mourinho has got the replacement he wants in, and I might not be particularly bothered if if Aurier remains because that gives them two options at right back. Aurier, remember, played more um, games for Tottenham in the Premier League last season than any other individual, even though he didn't have the full faith of the manager. That position has been very important to Mourinho in the way he wanted the team to play. So projecting the right back into the attack as soon as they had possession of the ball and bringing the left back in to form a, a defensive three. So it's an important signing. And I think if you if you watch the, the video of Mourinho talking to uh, Tottenham Hotspur TV about Doherty's acquisition, you can see how happy he is to have got him in. Um, at the Wolves' end, what I'm hearing is that they're interested in Ainsley Maitland-Niles, which we talked about um, when we mentioned the Doherty deal, um, is diminishing um, because of uh, his call-up by Gareth Southgate for the England international team. And the feeling at Wolves' end is that that has um, accentuated his price to a level where there would not be value in the deal. So I think it's unlikely they'll replace Doherty with Maitland-Niles now. And uh, and obviously they're going to need another um, starting right back for uh, uh, Nuno Espirito Santo's squad this coming season. Well, moving to um, south-west London from north London, um, Chelsea are very close to completing the transfer of Kai Havertz from Bar Leverkusen uh, for a fee initially in the region of 70 million euros uh, with add-ons going up to somewhere near 90. Um, it's an incredible summer, Duncan. We talked about this uh, sudden um, interest or indeed investment interest that uh, Ronald Bramovich has rekindled in his team with regards to the amount of money being spent because what we know for sure is uh, Frank Lampard still wants to recruit uh, a centre-back um, on top of the players he's already got. And, of course, that includes Ben Chilwell, who uh, was uh, done last week. But also, interestingly, um, we did say on the podcast about a month ago that Petr Cech still had faith in Kepa Aretha Balaga, the beleaguered goalkeeper who has missed out on the end of the season due to uh, a string of errors. And our information is that that has been accepted now by Lampard and his coaching staff and that they're willing to give him uh, the pre-season and indeed a chance in the early season to show that he is good enough. Partly because, of course, uh, replacing would be extremely expensive and given what Lampard sees as priorities elsewhere in his first-team selection and indeed squad, then a rejuvenated and confident Aritha Balaga would 
certainly make uh, of less of a headache for Lampard, uh, both in terms of practicality of game time as well as the financial situation. Is this a gamble, Duncan, or do you think that uh, Kepa is capable um, and indeed able to uh, redeem himself and put himself back into the Chelsea's first team? Sure, he's capable of playing better than he, he did last season <laughs> for Chelsea. Was that a sarcastic comment? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a factual comment. Um, look, I don't think it's a gamble. I think, I think we told you in the previous podcast that uh, Marina Granovskaya's asking price for Kepa was €80 million, Euros, which is the price they paid to make him most expensive goalkeeper by transfer fee in the, in the world which was essentially saying, I don't want to change this player because everyone in football knew that nobody was going to pay 80 million euros for Kepa um, in this window and, and possibly not in any window going forward unless he has a major change in form. I, I felt when, and this personal view, when he arrived in England, that he looked like a goalkeeper who was physically unsuited to the Premier League and a goalkeeper who while capable of some spectacular shot stopping, was making um, pretty basic errors, certainly errors you wouldn't expect from a player you'd, you'd spent that amount of money on. I've never seen anything from him that that has suggested um, that that was unusual. Uh, his career has gone on along that line. What it, So what it means is that Lampard is stuck with a substandard goalkeeper um, and he now has to manage the situation in a way that um, he gets the best performances from him as possible and uh, and then, I guess, uh, target that as, a, as an area to replace further down the line. Um, he's got Thiago Silva, he's got an experienced centre-back in. They, they signed um, Malang Sar on a free transfer from Nice, although he will go out on loan. Um, that looks to me like a Chelsea transfer market um, let's sign a player we can, we can get for a reasonable price and make profit down the line. Um, apparently, he is a player who, because of his physical size, can be very good in a back three, but you can't use him in a back two as a centre-back and certainly shouldn't be able to use him in the Premier League. So it, it's, um, it's questionable whether he will be a fit to Chelsea down the line. Uh, and I think it's a money market exercise from Chelsea in that one which leaves Lampard without his choice of centre-back unless they, um, they throw even more money at this market and, uh, and, and give West Ham United what they want um, for Declan Rice. Which would take the spending to well in excess of £250 million for this one window, which would uh, go above Manchester City's record spend of 2017. Um, that would be very interesting indeed. Looks like it's down to really the main man, Caballero, um, for those of you who speak Spanish, uh, to take the reins for the start of the season, um, as he did in the FA Cup defeat by Arsenal. Um, it'll be very interesting to see who starts in their first competitive Premier League match, which of course is a way to Brighton of Albion at the Amex uh, on the Monday night football of the first weekend of the season. September the 14th. Duncan, it's the early week podcast, which means it's time for Heroes and Villains. And uh, I'm pleased to say that you're going to be giving us 
the villain this week? Uh, yeah, I'll give you the villain. But just before that, we'll slot in a bit of news about one of our um, regular Ooh. guests on the Transfer Podcast, and that's Glenn Murray, who we haven't had on for a while, unfortunately, but hopefully we can get him on soon because I believe he is close to switching from Brighton to Watford um, as Watford try and rejig their attack to get back into the Premier League. And certainly if they manage to conclude that deal with Glenn Murray, they'll be buying a striker with an incredible track record of scoring, not only in the Premier League, but especially in the Championship. You heard it here first, people, as usual. Always first with the news before it becomes news. Um, And indeed, Duncan's going to give us now, uh, thank you for that update, Duncan, the villain of the last few days in football. I I thought you were going to do the hero first, Ian, because it contrasts so so well with our villain. I see see where you're going here. Yes, I am. I am. Uh, We've mentioned this guy before because... uh, We've been very impressed by uh, his commitment to social responsibility. Um, Someone is using his position and platform as both a famous footballer for Manchester United and for England, uh, and that is Marcus Rashford, who today um, has launched a new initiative on top of his uh, last, uh, not last, but present one, which is to provide Um, meals for children from deprived backgrounds and those who are below the poverty line uh, in this country. 4.6 million meals so far. Um, Rashford's uh, charity has managed to provide and uh, today they revealed that he has managed to forge a relationship with some major food manufacturers and um, supermarkets. Uh, in this country in order to make sure that children who do not have access to regular meals will indeed have that access throughout the next year and beyond, whether it's at school in terms of school meals or indeed at home as well. Uh, He is a shining light in his profession and uh, we applaud Marcus Rashford and he is the Transfer Window Podcast hero of this week, and indeed will continue to be one of our heroes throughout the next year or so. Duncan, please contrast this. <laughs> the contrast is um, Abu Dhabi um, with Khaldun uh, Al Mubarak leading as chairman of uh, of Manchester City. The 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 acquisition of Lionel Messi for well, we told you earlier in the podcast, 700 million euros worth of contract. Um, commission on top, possibly uh, a transfer fee on top. A deal that's worth um, more to Lionel Messi than most clubs in football are valued at. And um, I think it was just a year ago that Khaldun Al-Mubarak was railing against UEFA and railing against people who had uh, accused them of um, distorting the market uh, for footballers and, and talking about how they didn't have the record transfer fees um, for any of uh, the footballers or any football positions in England, um, which kind of neglected quite a lot of the deals they tried to do and deals they had in place and records they, they'd put in place before. And, uh, and maybe they still won't have the record transfer fee 
after this one's done if they if they manage to get Messi out of there um, as Messi are, are trying to do without um, payment of a release clause or a transfer fee but they'll certainly have the most expensive player in the world uh, the highest salary in the world and the most expensive deal ever handed down Perhaps Duncan the Transfer Window podcast should start a petition to say that Manchester City should equal all the money raised by Marcus Rashford for uh, meals for children and match that um, in terms of their acquisition potentially of Leo Messi just to make things a little bit more even. Um, something we should consider, I think, and uh, see where that goes. Find out if Abu Dhabi and uh, Caldon Al-Babarak indeed would like to contribute to the welfare of the poorest in this country, as they do to the wealthiest. So uh, that's it for today's podcast. We hope you have enjoyed what you've heard. Um, as always, we strive to bring you the news before it becomes news. And I think we've managed to do that today. And we will again later in the week on the second podcast. As for now, uh, if you want to continue the debate, then please do so uh, on our social media channels at Transfer Podcast on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. You can listen to the podcast on all the usual podcast platforms, as well as our YouTube channel. Just search at Transfer Window Podcast on YouTube and you'll find it very easily. Again, if you've liked what you heard, please give something back. Uh, log on to iTunes, give us a five-star review. Uh, we appreciate that uh, on your part. And it also helps us to expand the community and, of course, expand the debate. We will uh, return uh, later this week with the second podcast of the week, probably on Friday. We look forward to speaking to you then. And for now, it just leaves me to say, stay safe, be well, and thanks for listening.